Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we welcome Dr. Perry Glanzer. Perry is a professor of educational foundations at Baylor University, but may be best known today as the editor-in-chief of the Christian Scholars Review and its widely popular blog series, Christ Animated Learning. Perry has been an influential scholar for a long time, authoring or editing more than a dozen books about religion, moral education, and faith-based learning. With all that, I know him as Jackson's uncle, as Jackson Glanzer, is a player on my golf team and an assistant for Sport Faith Life. We're excited to talk to him, and we've got a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Well, we are so excited to have Perry Glanzer with us today. Perry, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, tell us a little bit about sport in your life. Well, actually, my father was a coach and teacher at one time back in that uh, Dutch Reformed area of Northwest Iowa. And so I grew up playing about everything. In fact, they even let me try hockey lessons once uh, after we'd moved to Colorado. That was very short. But uh, yeah, I love soccer, basketball, baseball. And of course, when you move to Texas, you have to try football as well and uh, did some tennis and do lots of other things. I have unfortunately had to retire from basketball. Uh, and, uh, but I still did racquetball and then now I like everyone else. I do pickleball. So. Yes, that seems to be the craze, but that that's great on the college campus. You can't help, but avoid basketball and racquetball. Right. So that's great. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it is great. Although I did believe it or not, I bruised my ribs playing pickleball recently, but, uh, that's another story. It's another story, Brian, and you can share, he's got a story of, of a hurt knee and pickleball and, and yet still winning. I love that. I love that. Nice. Hey, tell us a little bit about faith in your life. Yeah, you know, my, in some ways I had a great, uh, I feel just blessed by God in, in terms of God's grace in so many ways. I had awesome Christian parents um, who really lived out the Christian life, both in word and deed. And so that obviously had an attraction for me as a young child, became a Christian at age eight, had very healthy church experiences too. Um, which was uh, wonderful, both really at um, in Colorado, where I grew up until seventh grade, then down in Texas, where I moved to a little small town, Belton, uh, that just had great church experiences, great mentors, uh, in addition to my parents, uh, just a good, healthy youth pastor experiences, got involved with crew when I was at Rice University. And that was really just an awesome saving grace experience as well. I mean, you know, Rice is just tough intellectual environment, uh, going through a lot. I was majoring in history, political science, and religion, uh, dealing with lots of, you know, the major deep questions of life and just had wonderful, you know, in addition to that, just great friends too. Uh, Not only mentors, but just friends my age who we could talk about the deep uh, things of life. And, you know, we're still in touch, still keep in contact. So, you know, it was really interesting. I was reading this book one time about talking about other people's wounds growing up. And I must admit, I felt like, you know, I was one of those rare people who got away without having many wounds growing up. 
um, just God's grace that way. Um, now I know, uh, you know, we're talking about athletics and faith here. And, you know, one thing though that I have had later in life is actually had a lot of wounds bodily. Um, my wife spent a year in bed and then from Guillain Bray, and she still has chronic pain from nerve damage. I spent a year in bed in 2017. And then our, really our whole family has suffered. My uh, oldest son has a penology for which he's had life-threatening issues at times. And it's a reason why we came home from Russia uh, when I was teaching there for a year. We needed to get medical treatment for that. And then my youngest has Crohn's. So, um, yeah, I've had to deal with the tension of bodily betrayal in loving the life of the body, uh, the life of stewarding the body and doing athletics. And yeah, at times it's been a struggle. Yeah. Thanks, Perry. I mean, uh, I think you articulated it well when you said, you know, the tension of having a love for the life of the body and yet uh, being betrayed in some ways by the body just kind of going its own direction. My pickleball story, uh, was uh, a tournament where toward the end uh, we were in the championship game and I felt a little tweak in my knee and I thought, oh, uh oh, this is actually pretty bad. And my partner looked at me and says, we're not quitting. <laughs> so we didn't. And, and we did take home the trophy, which was a very small little medallion that probably cost about three dollars. And uh, and I ended up with knee surgery. So that's my pickleball story. Um, and I imagine you have a few of your own. I'm wondering, uh, just to help our listeners get to know you a little, t is there something beyond pickleball that uh, maybe a hobby, some sort of interest, uh, or something unique that you could tell us to help us get to know you? Yeah, um, I would say probably, I mean, I love music, and that's probably one of the things. Uh, you know, I remember reading this book about rituals, and it was the rituals really of creative people. And the book was talking, and basically it's just, one to two, maybe three page snippets of the rituals in which people engage to live the creative life. And it's all kinds of people from musicians to writers to, uh, yeah, other, other sorts of creative types, artists. And what's fascinating is most of them had this ritual that actually I do and that you do a lot of your creative work in the morning. Um, but then often in the evening, I mean, in the afternoons, you do lighter work, maybe editing or other kinds of things, socializing. But then in the evenings, you're usually just totally discard the creative work. In fact, I remember reading this book, a couple stories. For example, Dickens stopped writing at about 2, 2, 2.30 and then would go for three-hour walks around London, partly to get ideas and to rejuvenate and, you know, might say even sports. I mean, gets that, that thinking going. I do some of my best thinking on my elliptical or uh, mowing the yard, yard sometimes. There's another uh, composer who basically stopped listening to music after five uh, just because he needed that break. And to be honest, I do some of that too. I don't spend a lot of time in deep reading or reflection as much, you know, in the later hours. It's more a lot listening to music and uh, enjoying all kinds of genres. Well, I thank you. I don't feel nearly as bad about my afternoon unproductivity as I <laughs> did coming into this. This is fantastic. Uh, and I, uh, for a guy that, you know, you've written uh, more than 10 books, I think, and, uh, you know, very productive and, and you're taking, you know, some time away in the afternoon. That's, that's probably 
even deeper than uh, maybe just the way that you conduct your life. And it may be helpful for all of us as we think about work and rest. Uh, I wonder if we can... If you don't mind, I'll just throw out... We tell our grad students coming in, all of us take Sabbaths here. And we actually encourage it, strongly encourage that for you. Uh, Because I think that should be the rhythm of the Christian academic life. Um, So I think, yeah, that kind of rest, whether it's in the evenings, you know, when I had kids, I remember thinking when I was young in the academic life, I think, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people who publishes a ton because, you know, when I get home, I'm going to spend time with my kids. But the reality I found was I was much more productive because I Mm -hmm. took those breaks. Um, And I did. I got home at five, spent time with my kids, my wife. And, uh, yeah, you can still be as productive. In fact, you're probably more productive because you're taking that rest and Sabbath. You know, one of the things I do in the afternoon, particularly in season, obviously, is go out and play sports. I uh, coach sports in the afternoon. And uh, even as I've moved into more uh, of an academic life and now an academic administrative life, uh, if I would let that go, I think my life would change a lot. When I get away from the office, I feel way more rejuvenated to go back in the next day. So I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I wonder if I could ask you a little bit about your work uh, as we, and I know because you've written on so many things that we could go in a number of different directions. I'm going to let you lead us a little bit here, but I wonder if we could start with just this idea of uh, character uh, and character development. You know, one of the things that I would often ask my senior students in kinesiology was, you know, do you think sports builds, builds character? And, you know, they would almost fall over themselves to say, absolutely, it does. You know, it's been ingrained in us that sport builds character. And then I would, you know, try to get them to question that a little bit. But they were a little offended that I would even question that idea. Tell me a little bit about how you've seen uh, sport and character sort of played out in your life and and maybe start thinking about how how do we describe and define character uh, for, say, young uh, young adults? Yeah, I actually, um, you know, there's that old debate between the sports build character or just reveal character. Um, I'm going to actually sidestep that and actually go into, I actually think sports help us understand what it takes to build character. Uh, what it takes to, because uh, really character is about second nature habits. Um, you know, the Greek arete in particular is about excellence and I would say one of the things that's helped me is even just coaching little league athletes um, is how much uh, athletics helps us understand the, the necessary components to building character. Um, for example, one is you need motivation, desire. And this is where I'm, uh, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I'm sorry with James K. Smith on this um, in that I don't think habits build, I don't think habits produce desire. I think your desire has to come first. Um, you know, you walk into the drum, the baseball stadium as a four-year-old as I did, and you're enraptured by the drama. You're caught up in it. Um, and then, you know, I have my dad and others who I respect teaching me this. And then I, I, but I acquire the habits to be good at it. And then, you know, I desire, I mean, so practice does play a role, I'd say. But yeah, I think motivation, but then also, uh, it involves rules, but as I tell all my students when it comes to moral education, rules are for beginners, but you still need referees all your life. Um, so, for example, I always say, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? Okay, I don't commit adultery. Am I a great husband? 
Of course not. And I think my wife would <laughs> affirm that, right? I mean, especially if I, you know, <laughs> emotionally neglect her, fail to communicate, uh, things like this, forget her birthday. Um, but yet, so rules are just, I would call them fall control. They're for beginners. And uh, I know in the Reformed tradition, especially the Ten Commandments is emphasized a lot, but I would say we need to do a better job as Christians is emphasizing excellence instead of rules. Um, and that's really where the virtues come in. But the virtues are habits that we acquire, second nature habits. And that's like athletics. Like, you know, I respond to a curveball or like a pickleball. I can hit a two-handed backhand, uh, partially because I'm a left-handed batter. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just driven in me by, you know, 50 years of habit um, that I can do that um, in the moment. And so that's what the virtues are. And so, but I had to practice at that. And so practice is another element. That's what you have for, have for the virtues. So all these elements are really key. Uh, and I think athletics helps us understand that. Wisdom would be another one. I separate out wisdom because I think wisdom is something very different from second nature habits as much in the sense that um, it's something you acquire from being excellent at practice. For example, I can tell when a, I can usually tell when a, a person's going to miss a three-point shot from playing basketball all my life and being a point guard and taking lots of threes. I can also tell when a pass was the right pass to help make a three at a higher percentage. Now, that's not a rule. That's not a virtue. But that's just wisdom I've acquired from expertise and long practice. Uh, particularly, I know when driving in the lane, if you kick out from the lane, uh, it was a higher percentage three. I've always known that. But then I came across a study that actually proved that. Um, and so uh, there's wisdom that athletic athletics, just like we require wisdom in athletics to be excellent, so also in life, we need that kind of wisdom. And I would say too often Christian higher education neglects that kind of wisdom. We're all about, oh, we need to expose them to different views. Well, that's not necessarily how you acquire excellence. It's an important component um, that, you know, I need to know the different ways to think about playing zone defense or something, um, just like I need to know different ways. But uh, there's more to excellence than just exposing people to different views. This, Perry, is excellent, but in a, in a different way. I love the basketball conversation. I love you talking about wisdom, specifically the practical wisdom that we use, the, the phrenesis within the, the sport. And as we watch, um, so you're the editor-in-chief of the Christian Scholar Review, and that includes a, a, a daily blog, Christ Animated Learning blog, in which you've talked about the fact that athletes, even at the top level, continue to need coaches. And part of that is is to develop uh, their their skills, physical skills. But I imagine there's a moral component there, or at least um, a virtues-based component. If we're going to talk sort of Aristotelian here as well. Can you explain the importance of, of a coach here, or, or I suppose a, a teacher in terms of moral development? Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'd go beyond Aristotelian to Christian on that. Uh, in a sense, this is what I mean. We do the Baylor, I lead the Baylor Faith and Character Study at Baylor. And it's a longitudinal study of various uh, aspects of uh, character and also religious development. Well, our quant analysis, mixed methods, our quant analysis found that one of the most important correlates of spiritual growth for students is no surprise, regular attendance at church. In fact, it's correlated with about everything good you could imagine, all the way from GPA, sense of belonging, um, your vertical spiritual growth, but also your horizontal spiritual growth in terms of reaching out to other people. 
And so, in fact, one of my colleagues who's on the study with me, Kevin Doherty, you know, he tells his daughter going on, he says, there's two things you need to do. Make sure you're at the front of the class because studies show that matters. Uh, you sit in the front and then go to church because it's correlated with so many of these good things. Well, why? Well, we did, I, I did the qualitative portion with my team. And when you code those interviews, what you find is this. It's not the sermons. Nobody ever mentions the sermons. <laughs> they once in a while mention the chapel. Now, my pastor, I did say this to him, and I don't think he appreciated that, but uh, it's not the worship it's mentioned once in a while, but it's the mentorship. It's the, it's the college pastor, the senior who's leading the life group. It's all these older people. That's the older person they meet who they don't meet on a college campus, maybe who pours into their life. Um, and it's so vital. And the reason why is, you know, and there's secular studies on this, uh, that in order to get better at something, you, need, you can't just practice 10,000 hours. In fact, Gladwell, he messed that up. That's from Eric Erickson. And Eric Erickson argues you need deliberate practice. And that's not just 10,000 hours. If I practice golf 10,000 hours, and my brother could attest to this, um, I am not very good uh, just because I haven't had good coaching. Um, where you need a coach who can point out your problems, but then also push you to try things you don't normally try to get better. And that's true in athletics. He found it true in music. Um, and I would say that's true in the spiritual life, um, both with uh, human mentors. But this is where I'd go beyond Aristotle. I'd say uh, also the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, the great thing is, you know, to be honest, I haven't had, especially in academia, I haven't had as many mentors maybe as I would have liked. But I do feel like the Lord still through the Holy Spirit has guided me. Now, there are some other ones I had, you know, Dallas Willard is fantastic and people like that. But um, yeah, so I think we also have the Holy Spirit, to, who's our ultimate mentor. So what I tell people is like, I just had a son graduate from Baylor. And one of the famous theories in, in uh, student affairs is called self-authorship. And I tell people, you know, I really don't want him to self-author. Now I do, and I'm glad he has moved out. He has his own job. He's now paying his own car insurance. Hey. Like, woo-hoo. I want him to self-author in those ways. But the reality is I want him to co-author his whole life with the church and with the whole, you know, the triune God. And so I think we as Christians need to, you know, emphasize co-authoring. And that, I think that's true. That's what athletics teaches us. You know, you always need a coach. Christians, we always need a coach. Yeah, uh, thanks. That that uh, helps us think of a lot of different uh, sort of applications. And when I, um, you know, listen to your answer, you did make a reference to golf, so I have to I have to slide this in. Uh, Perry is the uncle of one of the players on my team, right? So Jackson Glanzer, Perry Glanzer, uh, and we actually invited Jackson to join us, but in the off season, he has taken up coaching. He is coaching uh, basketball uh, locally, and he was unable to, to attend because of uh, because of a conflict. So, unfortunately, we can't do that. But uh, it has been a privilege just to sort of talk to, to Jackson and sort of watch him develop. But I guess I'm curious about this whole idea of excellence uh, as it applies to this mentoring that you're talking about, right? So this, and you mentioned two things. You mentioned that uh, a coach needs to give you the knowledge, the, the sort of the, the stuff you might not know, but also maybe push you. Yeah. And, and we've seen um, methods of pushing uh, throughout 
many years, right? Many decades of coaching, and some of it gets quite famous uh, in terms of how we push people. And I wonder if I get you to comment on some of what you might see in, in coaching and, and how maybe uh, uh, like a, the sphere of sport might be the same or different than mentoring, say, from a youth pastor or from uh, maybe an academic mentor in some ways. In sport, it's, it's at least in some venues, been much more in your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I wonder if I could get you to comment on where you see that sort of falling. Yeah, I would say um, one of the fascinating things we found in our Baylor Faith and Character study was when students pointed to what helped them grow. We'd ask them questions about, have you grown spiritually? What, what, you know, and then we coded for everything that helped them grow. And one of the things they identified that helped them grow quite a bit were mentors, like coaches, but also peers. So you might say they're teammates. Like it. But one of the things both of them provided was accountability. Now, what's fascinating is accountability is not a virtue that's often emphasized in the positive psychology of literature, for example. In fact, uh, but the good thing is a couple of my colleagues, C. Stephen Evans and Byron Johnson, received a Templeton grant to study accountability and create some of the first scales to measure accountability. But what intrigued me was how much people who talked about they grew spiritually, they talked about that accountability was so important. They had a roommate call them out. Or I remember this girl talking about how she got back from an overseas, uh, spent a semester overseas, and she wasn't really treating this guy very well. And her friends called her out on it. Um, And she says, you know, it's really good for me and really helped me grow spiritually. So I think that kind of accountability, it's not going to be the end of your face coaching. Uh, I had one of those coaches. Well, I had more than one. (laughs) And those are not very effective, certainly with me. Uh, perhaps they are with certain people, um, but not my personality. I benefit more from just John Wooden-like instruction, I would call it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you know that kind of accountability is important. It seems like the in-your-face type of model that <clears throat> I would say maybe maybe fewer and fewer coaches are using today, or at least publicly, I suppose. Um, it doesn't develop the type of self self authorship that that um, colleges and universities, especially in their student affairs um, domains, would like to see from students. And so it maybe is, is a, a model that has passed its prime in terms of uh, effectiveness in the development of a of a student a student athlete. I'm I'm curious about um, this other thing that you mentioned related to how we grow morally, and that is uh, the role of parents. You talk about your father being a sports coach for a long time, both in the school system, but also uh, within a church. What's the role of parents in, in moral development? And I would say if you can speak to how that works in the world of sport too, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, I think this goes back to, I mean, really what, you know, I think Walter Stouffer wrote about, wrote about this in the 60s, uh, that modeling, I think, is, you know, one of the key aspects of uh, teaching when it comes to moral development. And certainly, I think, in athletics too, and I think especially, you know, among parents, like, you know, I've seen this in my kids when I try to help them on an essay. Uh, even though I write for a living, they don't always receive it well. <laughs> Same with my dad. My dad would try to teach me stuff. And even though he was a coach and a very good one, I did not always receive it well. But I certainly noticed, them, you know, what he modeled. And he was, even today, I think he was just incredible when I think about his patience. You know, he taught middle school early on. And I think that refined it. Um his, his patience was incredible and uh, also his contentment. 
Um, you know, Parvati grew up poor, uh, kind of post-depression uh, in South Dakota. But also, um, you know, there's a little bit, I think, the Mennonite background in a sense of a simple or simple living was helpful. Um, yeah, just a number of virtues uh, that were very important. And, and he modeled those. It wasn't he didn't tell a lot of he didn't give a lot of didactic teaching. He did some. Also, he t- told great stories. Uh, later, after being a coach, he was a pharmaceutical sales rep, and I would al- we would always relish him coming home with stories from you know out visiting a doctor out in West Texas or something. But uh, so I think those things, you know, example and the storytelling were quite effective as a parent. Um, and I find my more direct instruction to, <laughs> I mean, as you guys probably find, is uh, not always received as well, even if you are an expert in the area. <laughs> I think we can all resonate with that in in many different ways. I I think this whole world of like how to get something across is very interesting. You know, as a coach, we all have our goals, right? We have our plan to be an excellent team, to develop excellent players over a length of time. But most coaches too talk about this idea of personal development, potentially moral development, uh, certainly uh, in a Christian context, Christian uh, development, right? So faith formation. And uh, I just wonder about how some of the things that are happening in sport uh, can carry over or or how you might see some of that carryover happening or not happening. And this is uh, the example I'll give. You know, we talk about golf and, and Tiger Woods, a very famous golfer, right? Uh, I know that uh, as a golf coach, if Tiger Woods went into the woods uh, because his ball went in there and, you know, he, he found it, but then stepped on a stick and accidentally moved it and nobody saw it. Tiger Woods would walk out and he would probably, he would find an official or he'd tell his playing competitor, Hey, my ball moved. I got to give myself a penalty. Right. So he would have just unbelievably accountable personal um, honesty as it relates to golf. And yet Tiger Woods lied to his wife for years. And so we have this like extreme honesty in one place and then dishonesty in another. And and often those two are talked about together. And I wonder if, if anywhere in your research, you've sort of encountered how uh, maybe practicing a virtue in one place uh, can either develop or, or blend into another area or, or if you think that that actually doesn't work that way? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think it doesn't work that way. Um, now there's a there's famous studies back from the 1928 to 30 by Hartshorn and May in which they studied honesty and they found people were honest in one experiment, but they weren't honest in, for example, another experiment, another context. Well, they, I think they made the er- erroneous conclusion that, there's no such thing as character because they assume that character would carry over. And my argument would be, well, just like athletics, and this is where athletics I think can be helpful again, just because you're good in one sport doesn't mean you're going to be good in another one or excellent in another one. You have to learn the virtues, what I call the, the second nature habits, you know, of tennis um, and basketball. I mean, those are totally, you know, different second nature virtues you have to learn. And even, I mean, I've played, you know, I've played baseball, uh, tennis, racquetball, and pickleball. Well, all those do involve swings, but even the swings are all different. And so even though you may learn some part of the virtue, I mean, the second nature habit of a swing, you still have to make adjustments. And so I would say, you know, you may learn 
how to love your students well. And you may be excellent at loving your students, but that doesn't mean you're excellent at loving your kids or excellent at loving your wife. I think, uh, and this is my argument in my book called Identity Excellence, you have to learn the virtues in each identity context. Um, Just like you would have to learn different, you know, jumping in ice skating is different than jumping in basketball or even different than jumping in high jumping. Um, You have to learn different second nature habits in stewarding your wealth. As a steward, say you're stewarding your wealth or say stewarding the environment or stewarding my body. Um, or even, uh, say being a good friend, just because I'm a good friend doesn't mean I'm going to be a good neighbor. Um, you have to learn what it means to love as a neighbor. Um, and that's different than being a, a friend. In fact, I, I've interviewed students here just recently and a lot of them will tell stories about, cause we, because of the question we asked about sacrifice, how they sacrificed for their friends. You know, they'd help them stay up all night with their homework, do all this kind of stuff for their friends. I only had one student at 150 talk about sacrificing for their neighbor. Um, and so I think, wow, that's great. Our students are learning to sacrifice for their friends. I'm not sure they're learning to sacrifice for their neighbor. And so they have, we have to teach that particular loving virtue in the context of the neighbor. Uh, so, yeah, and that's different than, I mean, you know, historically, especially a lot of the Greek and Roman thinkers thought, oh, you have, you just develop virtue as a whole and even Christians have thought this. And uh, I think uh, both, I think, scripturally, but then also empirically, you can argue both that, no, that's not how it happens. So this this might be an unfair question for you, Perry, but I'm, I'm curious. You're talking about identity context and and um, the lack of carryover if there isn't sort of a context that's built within within one particular uh, moral, moral virtue in a certain setting or, or another. When you look at sports, You've mentioned a number of different sports already now that that you have played or or do play. As someone who studies morality in specifically Christian context, do you see any one particular sport who's uh, or or uh, one particular sport in which a um, the the context for one's identity development fits better with the Christian life than another? Ooh, wow, that's a good one. Um, you know, I've never been really asked that question. Um, yeah, I would think boxing is probably not as good as some other, um, uh, you know, boxing is kind of like uh, modeling. I've asked my Sunday school class member, you know, would you want your son to be, grow up to be a boxer? You know, nobody raises their hand. Would you want your daughter to grow up to be a model? Nobody raises their hand. And so there's a question about, you know, and this would be good on the, your reformed campuses. I mean, can those, those, uh, modeling and uh, boxing be redeemed, uh, you know, or should we just reject them as part of culture? Uh, I'm sure reform will come up with something, but I will say, I think, uh, yeah, there's probably some other sports that are, you know, going to develop some better uh, second nature habits that will help in this way. You know, certainly I think running uh, it's, I will say though, running can be very individualistic. I know, I mean, there's some studies that runners can be pretty narcissistic and self-centered unless it's right. You're a part of a team like on cross country um, versus, you know, basketball and baseball. I mean, they just naturally make, you have to not be uh, self-centered football too. Uh, So I do think there's something for team sports. In fact, I remember this one, uh, this guy tell me he had been, he was on a staff of a Christian group, but he says, he didn't grow up Christian. He says, you know, my parents divorced. He says, I, once they divorced, I stopped all my team sports. 
and just went into anything violent like boxing, karate, martial arts, because I was just so angry. Um, now, I think not everybody goes into those sports for those reasons, but uh, certainly I think, um, you know, a wound like that can lead you to be more self-oriented in your sport. Yeah, and this is this is kind of fun. So I think I'm going to ask you another uh, unfair question right along those lines. So Chad and I... Um, maybe half a year ago, did a whole series on whether Jesus would play a particular sport. So would Jesus play football? Would Jesus play hockey? And so on. And so we had a great time with that. And so I wonder, without asking you that exact same question, unless you want to take it that way, I wonder if you could apply that to the sports that you know, right? So you know a a small handful of sports pretty well, uh, maybe as a spectator, certainly as a participant. And I wonder if I could ask you, like, uh, what is the sort of chief virtue or a- excellence you find in this sport? And what would be maybe the the uh, thing to be wary of from mm. this particular sport? Wow. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think about I, the first thing that came to mind was racquetball for me. Because I transitioned from basketball to racquetball. And racquetball, you know, I was just playing by myself against another guy. And you can really get to, I just want to dominate and crush this person. Um, <laughs> and So that's the good thing, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, will, that, will there be that crushing and dominating the kingdom of God? Um, I, I do think, I mean, I, yeah, it was less about, you know, act, being excellent perhaps in racquetball and perfecting my corner shots and stuff like that, my lane shots. But uh more about, I just, you know, want to beat this individual person. Um, so mm. I'm not sure that necessarily it's more full. I was just me at that moment yeah. in my life. I will say, you know, I think basketball for me taught a lot of good things. Now I will say I probably lost my temper most playing basketball at different times, you know, probably cause it's just more physical game than baseball or something like that. Um, but, you know, as point guard, you just are so much thinking about your team and how to help your team succeed. Um, and you're thinking about everybody's strengths and weaknesses. It just feels so much more like that, you know, that Corinthians metaphor about the body that, okay, you know, this person can hit a shot here. You know, I can, oh, don't give it to him inside there because <laughs> his hands are real good, but you can give it to him inside. Uh, so there's a, uh, I think that was very helpful for me in that way. Uh, yeah. And I tried to be unselfish. In fact, my coach would criticize me for not being selfish enough. So in some ways Right. It was kind of the, the problem with some people in helping professions. Sometimes it was a little too unselfish. He wanted me to shoot more. Hmm. So you can have that. Well, Perry, I think you gave the right answer. Basketball is definitely the right <laughs> answer. Brian and I maybe go back and forth on that. But as well, Chad when, resonated with that part about wanting his team wanted him to shoot more. He, he's convinced himself of that as well. Every team I'm on, I'm convinced wants me to shoot more, whether they say it or not. Their body language just, uh, I'm, I'm reading that. That's what I read from everybody shoot it, Chad, I, I shoot play it. with. Yes. Well, Perry, you're, one of your colleagues at, at Baylor, Paul Putz from the Faith and Sports Institute yeah. at Seminary, has done a really nice job of exposing something that's often hidden behind James Naismith, the creator of basketball's reason for creating this. And that is to, he didn't care about wins and losses. He cared about uh, the development of Christian character among young young men. And so I think there is something there within the sport that whether he, uh, you know, laced it into the rules or, or it was sort of spirit infused through through prayer and other means, uh, who knows? But, but I, I like that you went that direction with the answer. If we're talking... Yeah. Paul and I actually have lunch about every month, and we were talking about that. Just the, just the wonderful time that YMCA history were both 
both basketball and volleyball were invented in the Y. And both of those, like you said, are really team sports that require that kind of teamwork and communication. There's something that's, you know, social in nature about, uh, about the, the sort of the, the kingdom at hand, right? God's kingdom at hand here through the church. And so team sports definitely, um, uh, have ways to, uh, to build that in. Uh, I want to ask one more question here specifically about, um, athletics at institutions of higher learning. I know you spent a lot of time doing research on colleges and universities, specifically Christian colleges and universities. And you've done a study recently with some colleagues at Baylor looking at student athletes and their religiosity. Is there, what is it within sport that may help or may, may help lead student athletes to have or to at least respond that their religiosity is higher than a student athlete or, or stronger than a student athlete that or a student that wouldn't be an athlete, excuse me. Yeah, I think there's actually a lot of things. Um, just to note, I mean, what we found in our Baylor Faith and Character Study is our D1 athletes, scholarship athletes, came in going to church the least regularly. They came out of Baylor going to church the most. In fact, I tell people that I think Baylor's athletic department is doing one of the best jobs of Christ animated learning of any of the departments at Baylor. And, you know, so that's a credit to our leaders. I mean, Scott Drew's the real deal uh, and that he really cares about these things. Mac Rhodes does too. Um, our other coaches, Mitch Thompson, I've taught in Sunday school. Um, so, uh, yeah, these are, I think you, it allows to create a culture where this is valued. Now, I will say Baylor has also, to their credit, put in a lot of resources. We have chaplains, sports chaplains. Um, and one of the fascinating things in our Baylor Faith and Character Study, we found that uh, both these sports chaplains and residential chaplains on the campus, students love them because they're not the rule enforcers. They're not the RAs. And they're not the counselors, you know, they would go to. They're kind of in the middle. And they provide this place for people to go to with some of their struggles that aren't necessarily hardcore counseling issues or perhaps, you know, rule-oriented issues. In fact, I even interviewed a gal uh, coming into our master's program a couple of years ago, and she said she became a Christian at Baylor. I said, really? Tell me about that. She says, yeah, I was talking for, to a cu couple of the residential uh, chaplains is how I became a Christian. You know, this, over a period of time, answered a lot of my questions. And so I think ba Baylor, to their credit, has, you know, has sports chaplains. Um, they've also, uh, you know, put in some resources for even mission trips to go overseas for our sports teams, things like a lot of developmental things. Uh, and some of these are, they're not just sort of Christ, what I call Christ added things. They're also in, intertwined in the department. You know, the whole theme of joy that uh, Scott Drew's developed, Jesus, others, and yourselves. He, you can see it in when the athletes interview. The first thing is they give glory to God, Jesus. Then they talk about their teammates, others. Then they talk about their own performance, yourself, joy. And so it's integrated even into after-game uh, interviews. But the, even in, it comes in deeper. For example, in our national championship team, Jared Butler, he was interviewed by ESPN. He talked about, you know, I was so concerned about my draft status and what everybody was saying and all this stuff. And then I just remembered, you know what? My worth is found not in my performance, but in God. And our, we really are doing know our athletic department really emphasizes that. Because he says your performance is going to go up and down all the time. And that's not where your worth and identity should be. Your identity should be grounded that you're made in God's image and you're loved, you know, and through Christ. And, you know, and, and Butler in this ESPN interview goes, yeah, when I recognized that, I was able to just relax and play a lot better. Now, 
I don't think we just point athletes to do that so they perform better. <laughs> Although I do think that's going to be an outcome. Um, for most, maybe not all. But it's like that's the core of the gospel. Your identity is not in some contingent thing that your achievement um, or even what your teammates think about you or your coach thinks about you. But it's really that you're made in, it's what God did for you. And it's a gift of grace, not something you achieve or earn. Well, that's a wonderful place to end it. Thank you for that story. Dr. Perry Glanzer, uh, thank you also for taking a little bit of time away from your busy schedule to talk sports with us here on Sport Faith Life. It's been wonderful having you. Uh, and hopefully we can uh, have you again on as a guest uh, on Sport Faith Life in the future. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life. Thank you.